Thank you for listening to the Grace Harvest Church podcast. For more information, go to graceharvestchurch.org. Uh, if you are uh, a guest or you're visiting here this morning, I want to welcome you. My name is Drew, and I'm one of the pastors here. I'm over the area of worship, and I'm also an elder. Uh, and I've been on staff here for about 13 years. Um, I, I have the privilege uh, this morning of continuing in our series called Together. And uh, it's about relationships. And over the past few weeks, we've covered the idea that God in his very nature is relational. And that humanity is built for relationship with each other, but also with him. And we learned that God's heart towards humanity is reconciliation, and that was paid through the blood of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Uh, this morning, I'm not going to pretend like you're taking notes, okay? But for the sake of a title, we're going to call this Family is Messy, okay? So if you're here with, it, with your family, it's going to get a little awkward. It's not going to get awkward. It's going to be fine. You're going to make it. Uh, I want to take a look at the story of Jacob and Esau in Genesis, and this is a, it's a really long story, and, uh, and I want to kind of tackle it in three different sections, three different parts, and it revolves around a family um, that's pretty relatable in the fact that it's, it's a little dysfunctional, okay? There's some kind of weird things happening within the family dynamics, and this story really I- illustrates to us that um, it's God's desire to not only work through our brokenness as people, but also God's command to us all the way back from the garden to be fruitful and to multiply. And the family is that vehicle and that foundation. Amen. Amen. So we're going to start this story in Genesis 25. Genesis 25:19. We should have a lot of the, the scriptures up on the screens for you. It says, these are the generations of Isaac, Abraham's son. Abraham fathered Isaac, and Isaac was 40 years old when he took Rebekah, the daughter of Bethuel, the Aramean of Paddan Aram, the sister of Laban, the Aramean, to be his wife. And Isaac prayed to the Lord for his wife because she was barren. And the Lord granted his prayer, and Rebekah, his wife, conceived. And the children struggled together within her, and she said, if it is thus, why is this happening to me? And so she went to inquire of the Lord, and the Lord said to her, Two nations are in your womb, and two peoples from within you shall be divided, and the one shall be stronger than the other, and the older shall serve the younger. And so the first thing that we see in this text is that prayer moves the heart of God. The prayer of a husband for a wife is more powerful than I think we understand sometimes. It means that we should be praying for our wives. Amen, husbands? Use it righteously, use it wisely. Maybe if you've agreed as a couple that you don't want to have kids anymore, you're done. Maybe don't pray for surprises. I'm just going to throw that out there. Do with it what you will. To us, as we read this story, we kind of drop right into it. Isaac prays and the Lord opens his wife's womb. But the truth is, is that she's been barren for 20 years. 20 years is a very long time when you want to have a family. I can't imagine that this was his first prayer. And Rebecca also goes to prayer, but she goes for for different reasons. And her language seems to indicate that she's actually wondering if all the suffering is worth it. In some translations, it says that she kind of despaired of life a little bit. And then the Lord reveals to her why she's suffering 
and he lays out what's going to happen. Because many times, the purpose of God is not without pain. And it's not without struggle. And it's not without questioning. I've never been pregnant. (laughs) Believe it or not. But my wife and many other women in this room can testify that it is worth it. The pain and the suffering is worth it when you're holding your child for the first time. And so it is many times with the purpose of God in our life that it is worth the struggle, the things that we are wrestling with. And then in verse 24, it says, When her days to give birth were completed, behold, there were twins in her womb. And the first came out red, all his body like a hairy cloak. So they called his name Esau. And afterward, his brother came out with his hand holding Esau's heel. And so his name was called Jacob. And Isaac was 60 years old when she bore them. When the boys grew up, Esau was a skillful hunter, a man of the field, while Jacob was a quiet man. And he was dwelling in tents. And Isaac loved Esau because he ate his game. But Rebekah loved Jacob. So at this point in the story, we kind of see all this contrast between these two brothers, all this tension. Esau is born first, but Jacob is struggling and he's wrestling right behind him. Esau is a hunter. Jacob is an inside cat and he likes to cook. And Isaac loves Esau because of what he can do. And Rebekah loves and prefers Jacob, probably because of what the Lord told her. One of the things that I, I find so interesting about this story and also the story of Cain and Abel, which Pastor Doug taught on last week, is that it doesn't take long for sin to enter into relationships, into sibling relationships, into the family relationships that we've seen so far. And it seems like if God's original plan for the earth is family, to be fruitful, to multiply, then the enemy is actively seeking to destroy those relationships. In in the story of, of Cain and Abel, God tells Cain that sin is crouching at his door. And and the words used in in this, the the original language, are the same words to describe an animal stalking its prey. It's described as an active force that is seeking to destroy the goodness that God is wanting to create in our lives and in the earth. Which means that we can't be passive when it comes to sin. We can't be passive with things in relationships that go the wrong way. And in verse 29... It says, once when Jacob was cooking stew, Esau came in from the field and he was exhausted. And Esau said to Jacob, let me eat some of that red stew for I am exhausted. And therefore his name was called Edom. And Jacob said, sell me your birthright now. And Esau said, I am about to die. Of what use is a birthright to me? And so Jacob said, swear to me now. And then Jacob gave Esau bread and lentil stew, and he ate, and he drank, and he rose, and he went his way. And thus Esau despised his birthright. If you know this story, it's a really familiar one. You you probably are all very familiar with it. 
it's really easy for us to focus on, on Jacob's fault in this situation. You know, to look at him and be like, man, what a, what a terrible person. What a terrible brother. And I say that as someone who's done a lot of really bad things to my brother. Um, but he's alive. He, he didn't die. So that's what I tell him anyway. But Jacob is waiting for this opportunity to take something that isn't his. But something is, is also revealed in the heart of Esau. There's a, a carelessness in him. There's a lack of honor. And ultimately, there's a lack of love for his father in trading his birthright for a single meal. He set aside his right to be a spiritual leader in his family and to carry on what God had promised Abraham. And it says that he despised his birthright. That's a very strong word. And it basically means that he counted his birthright as vile. He counted his family history as something that he did not want to continue. And then he married two Hittite women that it says it made Rebecca's life absolutely miserable. Mentions it two different times. Reminds me of, of my, my own mom praying for my brother and I's future spouses when I was younger. And I didn't fully understand what that was until years later. And I had sons and daughters of my own. And I realized that who they marry will shape and change my life. Who we marry will shape and change your life, for good or for bad. That realization hit me a few weeks ago, and I instantly began praying. <laughs> There's nothing more scary than that. But the other thing that we see here in Esau is that weariness and exhaustion produce mistakes. And at times, it reveals all the ugly things that are inside of us. And I'm sure that you've all experienced that, and I know I have as a parent, as a husband, as a leader. Don't trade momentary fullness and satisfaction for something that you will regret later on, for something that will not sustain your future. The truth is, is that both of these, these brothers are at fault. And so we're moving into kind of the, the second section of this story, part two. And at this point in the story, Isaac is really advanced in years and his vision is fading and he calls for Esau and he tells him to go kill some animals, prepare some food and bring it to him so that he can bless him before he dies. And Rebecca hears Isaac talking and decides to intervene on Jacob's behalf. And so she has Jacob prepare food and he, she dresses him up like Esau in his clothes, and she puts goat skins around his hands and sends him to his father with food. And then we pick back up again in Genesis 27, and verse 18, and it says, So he went into his father and said, My father. And he said, Here I am. Who are you, my son? And Jacob said to his father, I am Esau, your firstborn. I have done as you told me. Now sit up. And eat of my game that your soul may bless me. But Isaac said to his son, How is it that you have found it so quickly, my son? And he answered, Because the Lord God, your God, 
granted me success. So at this point in the story, Jacob has reached next level deception. And it's kind of impressive in some ways, but it's also bad. But Jacob has chance after chance in this story to do the right thing, and he does not do it. And it's interesting to me that, that even after his miraculous birth and his father's miraculous birth, they both came out of barrenness, miraculous births. And so he must have heard stories about Yahweh, about this God who provides. But he doesn't say, my God. He says, your God. See, after all the things that God has done for Jacob and his family, Jacob doesn't acknowledge him as God. And then in verse 21, it says, Then Isaac said to Jacob, Please come near me that I may feel you, my son, to know whether you are really my son Esau or not. And so Jacob went near to, his, to Isaac, his father, who felt him and said, The voice is Jacob's voice, but the hands are the hands of Esau. And he did not recognize him because his hands were hairy like his brother Esau's hands, and so he blessed him. And he said, are you really my son, Esau? And he answered, I am. That's some amazing tension right there. Jacob continually denies who he is. And his father seems to be a little suspicious about it. And he's actively seeking out the truth of what's happening. But he has a literal blind spot he can't see. The truth is right in front of him and he doesn't see it. He can't see it. And there's a lot of debate out there on whether or not he actually wanted to see it or not. As parents, many times, we don't want to see what's right in front of us in our own children. I'm not sure about you, but as a, as a kid growing up, did your parents ever say something like, I just don't have a good feeling about it? I got that quite a bit, and it's, it was a little frustrating. What does that even mean? I don't know what that means. But as a parent, you completely understand what that means. Because the Holy Spirit is many times speaking to us as parents about what is happening in the hearts and lives of our kids. But Isaac seems to ignore all the signs that are in front of him. And then in verse 25, it says, Then he said, Bring it near to me that I might eat my son's game and bless you. And so he brought it near to him, and he ate, and he brought wine, and he drank. And then his father Isaac said to him, Come near and kiss me, my son. And so he came near, and he kissed him. And Isaac smelled the smell of his garments, and he blessed him. And he said this, See, the smell of my son is as the smell of a field that the Lord has blessed. May God give you the dew of heaven and the fatness of the earth, and plenty of grain and wine. And let people serve you, and nations bow down to you. Be Lord over your brothers, and may your mother's sons bow down to you. And cursed be everyone who curses you, and blessed be everyone who blesses you. The words and actions of a father are powerful, and they carry a weight to them. Think about what Jacob has done to hear those words, to hear the blessing of his father. 
to place himself in that moment instead of Esau. What we just read is, is called the ritual of blessing. They ate a meal together, they drank wine, and then they sealed this ritual with a kiss. Those things had to happen for that ritual to be complete, and it revolves around a meal, much like the Passover meal or communion. See, something happens in that moment that can't be taken back. And I think as, as modern Christians, sometimes we've missed the power and the sacredness of what a meal together can actually do. Breaking bread together is powerful. It's the act of laying out the gifts of God in front of you, literally, at a table. And as you sit with your family or your friends and literally see the blessing of God, the people that you have around you, your family. And it's what much of the early church gathering is actually centered around in the New Testament, was communion, was a meal. It's one of the most sacred things that we do here together as a family of grace. Amen? And the story continues on in verse 30, and it says, As soon as Isaac had finished blessing Jacob, when Jacob had scarcely gone out from the presence of Isaac, his father, Esau, his brother, came in from his hunting. And he had also pre prepared delicious food, and he brought it to his father. And he said to his father, Let my father arise and eat of his son's game, that you may bless me. And his father Isaac said to him, Who are you? And he answered, I am your son, your firstborn, Esau. And then Isaac trembled violently and said, Who was it then that hunted game and brought it to me? And I ate it all before you came, and I have blessed him. Yes, and he shall be blessed. As soon as Esau heard the words of his father, he cried out with an exceedingly great and bitter cry. And he said to his father, bless me, even me also, O my father. But he said, your brother came deceitfully and he has taken away your blessing. And Esau said, is he not rightly named Jacob? For he has cheated me these two times. And he took away my birthright. And behold, now he has taken away my blessing. And then Esau said, have you not reserved a blessing for me. And Isaac answered and said to Esau, Behold, I have made him Lord over you, and all his brothers I have given to him for servants, and with grain and wine I have sustained him. What then can I do for you, my son? And Esau said to his father, Have you but one blessing, my father? Bless me, even me also. Oh, my father, and Esau lifted up his voice, and he wept. And then Isaac, his father, answered, and he said to him, Behold, away from the fatness of the earth shall your dwelling be, and away from the dew of heaven on high. By your sword you shall live, and you shall serve your brother. But when you grow restless, you shall break his, no his yoke from your neck. See, as a father, your words have impact beyond what we can see, beyond what we know right now. Isaac's words 
changed the course of his son's life forever. Words are seeds that grow into something. Good or bad, they're going to turn into something in the hearts and lives of your children. One of the the difficult things about this passage, reading it as a father, is that Isaac has nothing left to give Esau. Which really isn't common traditionally. Uh, Even in the book of Deuteronomy, later on where some of these customs are laid out, the firstborn received the leadership of the family and the double portion of the father's estate, but the rest of the estate is supposed to be divided up. But Isaac, in his favoritism, he left nothing. And so Esau vows to kill Jacob when his father dies. It's, it's going to get happier, I promise. It'll get happier. We're getting there. So we're, we're coming to the, the, the last section, part three. And about 20 years has passed since Jacob received Isaac's blessing instead of Esau. And Jacob has ironically been on a a journey of his own, and he's been tricked by his father-in-law, Laban, into marrying a woman that he didn't want to marry. And then he married a woman that he did want to marry. But God's provision has been with Jacob in everything that he's done. He's prospered in what he's done for Laban. But he hasn't seen his brother Esau since Esau vowed to kill him. That's That's a fun conversation. And so the Lord calls Jacob back to his home. And after Jacob parts ways with his father-in-law, which is a whole different mess of drama, Jacob sends a messenger to Esau. And he says so many nice things, um, like like what you say when you don't want to die. You don't want to get beat up by your older brother. And Esau responds by coming to meet Jacob with 400 men, which is a bad sign. And so the night before Esau arrives, Jacob encounters the Lord. And so we pick back up again in Genesis 32, 24. And it says, and Jacob was left alone and a man wrestled with him until the breaking of day. And when the man saw that he did not prevail against Jacob, he touched his hip socket, and Jacob's hip was put out of joint as he wrestled with him. And then he said, let me go, for the day has broken. But Jacob said, I will not let you go unless you bless me. And he said to him, what is your name? And Jacob replied, Jacob. And then he said, your name shall no longer be called Jacob, but Israel. For you have striven with God and with men, and you have prevailed. And then Jacob asked him, please tell me your name. But he said, why is it that you ask my name? And there he blessed him. And this is the the culmination of all the things that God has been speaking to Jacob and Abraham and Isaac. At this moment of wrestling, the Lord changes Jacob's name to Israel. There's something profound that's happening to Jacob throughout the years of this story. His life and his name have been marked with fear 
and deception. And he's striving to be blessed once more by a different type of father. And God asks him his name just like his father did when he stole Esau's blessing. But this time he doesn't lie. This time he says his real name. This time he's fully transparent. And it's an acknowledgement of who he truly is and all the things that he's done. It's repentance. And in that moment, the Lord changes his name. Out of the struggle and out of the wrestling, God brought Jacob to a place of repentance, but he doesn't leave him there. And so he gives him a new name and he gives him a new future and he fulfills his promise. But Jacob's journey isn't quite over yet. And in Genesis 33, we pick back up again. Esau is coming to meet Jacob with 400 men. And Jacob lifted up his eyes and he looked and behold, Esau was coming with 400 men. And so he divided the children among Leah and Rachel and the two female servants. And he put the servants with their children in front and then Leah with her children and Rachel and Joseph last of all. And he himself went on before them, bowing himself to the ground seven times until he came near to his brother. But Esau ran to meet him and embraced him and he fell on his neck and he kissed him and they wept. And when Esau lifted up his eyes and he saw the women and children and he said, who are these with you? And Jacob said, the children whom God has graciously given your servant. And then the servants drew near, they and their children, and they bowed down. Leah likewise and her children drew near and bowed down. And last, Joseph and Rachel drew near and they bowed down. And Esau said, what do you mean by all this company that I met? And Jacob answered to find favor in the sight of my Lord. But Esau said, I have enough, brother. Keep what you have for yourself. And Jacob said, no, please, if I have found favor in your sight, then accept my present from my hand. For I have seen your face, which is like seeing the face of God, and you have accepted me. Please accept my blessing that is brought to you because God has dealt graciously with me and because I have enough. And thus he urged him and he took it. See, Jacob is expecting to be punished and instead his brother runs to him. And much like the father in the story of the prodigal son that Pastor Noah taught on a few weeks back, he falls on him and he kisses him. And I'm sure they had a good old ugly cry at that moment. But Esau's response to Jacob is evidence that God is working when we don't see it. He's moving in those relationships that we've been praying for when we don't see it. We don't see anything happening. He's still working. 
And Jacob's gift to Esau has become the beginning of God's promise to bless the families of the earth, earth through Jacob. And in all that mess, we see the beauty of God using broken people, using broken relationships, using dysfunction to fulfill his purpose in the earth. I'm not sure about you this morning, but that gives me hope for our own lives, for my own family, that he doesn't use us because we're perfect. He uses us because he wants to, because he chooses to. Much like family chooses you, you don't choose your family. And at the end, Jacob says when he sees Esau's face, that it was like seeing the face of God. Because when relationship is restored, when righteousness is actually in place, we are able to see each other as we are actually made in the image of God. You see those relationships, you see those people for who God has made them to be when things are right.